Hey, this is Alex from Atlanta, and I never listen to Whenever I Get Around to It with Dollamore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is... I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right. Uh, welcome to I Doubt It with Dollamore. The first time in the history of the show, you have me, Brittany Page, introducing the show and the hosts doing a great job at it as well um and alongside me i have the talented the lovely the muppet voiced sick sickly man jesse d here i am everybody (laughs) this is gonna be a shit show for sure well listen I I'm, I'm listening. I <laughs> I get stressed out when we are late. Yeah. With the show. And I have been very stressed out because people reach out to us and they're yeah, like, what the hell? Sure. Where is the show? What's going on? I'm lost without you. And it's very nice to hear that. But it's also very stressful. I'm shaking. Okay. I'm shaking. That's how stressed out you I am. You are shaking. What is going on? I, I'm, I'm coming clean with wow. my stress. But you are ill. Yeah, I'm still like even while we were sitting here prepping, doing a rush prep job, I'm I'm uh I start I'm feeling feverish again now. Yeah. Well, we went to a Memorial Day barbecue over the weekend. Yeah. And there was revelry. Yeah, but not that because someone from the party messaged you and said that someone else got sick with and like an upper respiratory infection. And losing the voice. And losing their voice. Yeah. So similar to what you have going on. Which, so it started on on that night. I started losing my voice. Yeah. Like I was at a concert or something. Like you had been yelling. Yeah. D- terrible. And then yeah. the next day, it was about like it is now. Right. But then it got worse and worse. Mm-hmm. I'm at about 75% better than I was, I think. Yeah. And you still sound and like st- a Muppet. <laughs> sound like a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so for those of you joining us uh, for the very first time, maybe. Yeah. It's not normally like this. Yeah, this isn't the deal. Yeah. Like, how did this guy get this far? But we. A voice like that. We felt like we. His ideas must be really good. Yeah. It's not that. Um, it's not that. <laughs> we, we felt like we couldn't continue to have no episode. Yeah, coming for sure. Out. Um, so we wanted to. Especially after having initially promised it on Tuesday, just late because of the holiday. Right. So we're doing this one. And then we'll do next week, hashtag third episode. And we also wanted to do this episode because we wanted to remind the Patreon supporters that tomorrow we are having the uh, Google slash Zoom hangout calls uh, on Friday the 1st at 8 p.m. Los Angeles time. And then on Saturday, June 2nd at 11 a.m., Los Angeles time. Those are the two hangouts. They are happening. They will happen, even though Jesse sounds like a Muppet. And something else that you did 
by the way, oh, which no. was very kind of you. Oh, maybe it's good. <laughs> is that you went to a concert with me oh, yeah. last night, yeah. even though you're feeling the way that you feel, which is very kind of you because it was the Doobie Brothers and Steely Dan. Yeah. Wow. Look at that. Yeah. 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 And I... It was a good time. It was okay. It was great. The time. I mean, I... I it was okay as far as my being sick. Yeah. It was a good time, though. It was amazing watching two legendary groups. Yeah. Yeah. Someone, <laughs> it was really funny. Someone walked in as the Dewey Brothers were playing, and I think they were singing Taking It to the Streets. I think that was the song. And that's a Michael McDonald song. And they asked, Is that Michael? And it, all you had to do was listen for yeah. a second. One second. One second. And you knew that it wasn't Michael McDonald that w- singing that wasn't song. Wasn't that the song where you pointed out it It must be so difficult vocally that they had multiple dudes taking up the slide. They had two lead singers on the song. Yeah. Like one guy did about half the song, couldn't hang, and then the other guy picked up the slack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was not a good time. And yeah. they, they kept on playing, like, I don't know if they were new songs or yeah, something. Yeah, you kept like... Just play the hits, bro. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which Steely Dan did. And it was great to see Steely Dan because we're going to get into all this history of Steely Dan. But uh, the group was founded by two people, uh, Donald Fagan and Walter Becker. And Walter Becker died last year. And so Donald Fagan is kind of carrying... He's 70 years old. Yeah, carrying the band forward. And yeah, he's 70 years old. And it was pretty impressive to watch him. The band sounded great. Uh, He was a little touch and go sometimes, but he's 70. He randomly walked off stage twice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the band like played extra long and he was like, I gotta go, guys. Maybe they had a porta potty. He just couldn't hold it. He had to go. You're (laughs) 70. You gotta take a break. You don't have the bladder control you once did. Yeah, but I'm really happy I got to see them because I love Steely Dan and who knows how much longer he's gonna be touring, you know, all these. It's a bummer. Being in the position I'm in, loving music from the 70s because they are no longer in their prime. Yeah. And they're dead or dying. And Which, it's- let me tell you, going to a concert where that the fan base is also old uh-huh. is great because we got to fucking <laughs> sit down the whole concert. Yeah. These old turds were not standing up and partying. I mean, there was equal, the equal amount of weed smoke you would expect to oh, smell yeah, in the yeah, air. Yeah, yeah. But uh, these fuckers were sitting. It was awesome. Yeah, it was. It was great. fantastic being able to sit through the whole concert. Yeah, so. at the Forum. Yeah, in L.A. Yeah, in Inglewood. Yeah, it was a good time. So if you have a chance and you're a fan of them, I would recommend seeing them before it's too late. So are you gonna uh, lead the whole the whole show? Or? I mean, I was planning on it. I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job so far. And do you want me to um, take a nap? Sure. No, I, was, <laughs> I, I would love to take a nap right now to tell you the truth. Would you? Are you going to continue to like host, host, like lead and and go segment to segment, or you want me to to? I really don't want. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of a lazy turd right now, so. Yeah, I think I can. I think I can handle it. So <laughs> let's let's try it. All right. So let's go. <laughs> That was an inauspicious start. Let's go to the first voicemail. 
Hey, Brittany and Jesse. My name is Mache. I am from Texas, uh, North Dallas, Frisco, Texas. Um, I am calling in regards to I've heard a lot of recent things about doctors or people of authority, men of authority, um, molesting, being inappropriate with younger girls. And I just had a quick story um, from my PE coach in elementary. Um, he would do things like pop bra straps and um, we would do jump rope in front of him and he would tell girls that they were developing well um, I'm assuming their breast um, and at the time a few girls got together and went to the principal and told them told their parents um, and nothing ever happened to this man and I kind of just forgot about it until all of these movements started happening and um, all of these men are coming out that they've done this. And I just wonder um, how long he got away with it. Because as far as I know, he was never fired. Um, and what else he did, if those were just things he was saying. I don't know if he um, ever got physical with anyone besides the bra strap popping. But also, um, you know, obviously I was not scarred for life. It's something I just kind of forgot about it as time went on. But I think it did teach young girls, including me at the time, that men could just kind of get away with whatever because even when you told the adults, um, nothing ever happened. Um, and it became just normal for that's just the way men act. That's just the way boys act. Um, and so I think it's really great that all of this is coming to light. And I hope my two-year-old son will grow up in a world that um, these things aren't normalized like they are now. So anyways, that was just my little story. You guys are great. Um, sorry, Texas is, has been a huge disappointment to um, the rest of the U.S. <laughs> We're trying to make a change. Bye. <laughs> I love that she felt the need to like speak as a representative yeah, on behalf of Texas. Apologizing for the whole state. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry about what we have going on. It's, it's not your fault. It's the second largest landmass state in the United States. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> She's apologizing for it. It's not your fault. Um, what the fuck is going on with that PE teacher, though? Yeah, that's horrifying. That that guy still has a job? Putting hands on people snapping not just even the snapping of the bra straps but commenting on the development yeah it's disgusting that, mm-hmm. and if that's what he's doing in public mm-hmm. to kids mm-hmm. that are going to get reported and people are going to find out about what's that guy doing at, at home in private right well and you've only heard select stories coming out of these doctors that have been protected for years but here's another situation where as she said girls got together and tried to go tell and nothing came of it so you have to wonder how many men are out yeah. there where someone has tried and tried and tried to do something, tried to get someone in trouble, and they're just like Teflon. Well, what kind of a, a support network is in place around a guy like that that he feels no fear mm-hmm. of, of re- retribution or reprisal or, or consequence that, eh, I'm going to be allowed to do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, it's really terrifying. But I am glad that the culture is changing and that we're moving away from this. And it reminds me of the movie that we just watched on HBO, The Tale. 
if anyone is interested in checking it out. Um, Very uniquely done. Great movie. Yeah, I, I wasn't a fan of it uh, at all, but um, it, it, it was interesting, I think. The interesting takeaway for me about it was the premise is this adult woman... Um, she, her mom discovers a journal that she wrote or a story that she wrote when she was 13 years old about a relationship that she had with like a 40 year old man. And in the journal entries, she's acting like she had agency. She made a choice. This was like a beautiful, loving relationship that she had. Because she's writing it when she's 13. Right. Yeah. And as in a, it's, it's a movie about as an adult reading this story and coming to terms with the fact that she was raped by a man an adult man yeah and learning what she looked like at that time and and putting it together but in even 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 when when they talk about her looking back on it she kind of she had the the memories that she had were of her thinking she was way more old and and together than she was right and mature and and then realizing from photos that oh holy shit i was just a little kid yeah yeah and it's an interesting movie, given that premise, about the stories that we tell ourselves to protect yeah. ourselves about what we've gone through. And I thought in that way it was profound. There's We could get into why we hate on it, because I, I had issues with it too, but we should save that for, let the audience see it and then maybe have a, a talk about it. Yeah, but I, I think it is interesting and there's something to be said there for... Um, the way the culture is changing now because that happened in like the 70s yeah. and there were some cultural influences then where people were like oh no that's just what what happened in the 70s like that was a way to excuse what happened yeah. as though uh raping a child is somehow less of a problem because it was the 70s um but now that we have this culture changing i think there are important conversations happening about well what do we tell our girls uh about how to respond in these situations or what their boundaries are or how much should we be teaching them and these puritanical ideas of like not talking to kids about sex and having abstinence only education programs I think that's falling out of favor and I think that that's really good especially for predators who are hoping to get their hands on an innocent child who is soft-spoken, doesn't know a lot about this stuff, hasn't been taught about it, doesn't know what boundaries they should have or or what what is inappropriate touch. And that's uh, an area where people should really thank, quote-unquote, radical feminists for raising girls to know what is appropriate touch and what is inappropriate touch and not being afraid to have these conversations. Because when young girls are equipped with that knowledge, they will be able to recognize when something wrong is happening. Not only recognize when it's wrong, but feel empowered enough to say, hey, what the fuck? Right, this is not right. Not right. And then you have to hope that when they go tell the adults, now that the culture is changing, that the adult will actually do something. And that's part of it is hope, hoping, teaching them that they, it is okay. You will be believed. Right. Because a lot of times kids, whoever, victims don't come forward for fear of not being believed. Right. And I'm sure these stories about these doctors getting away with all this shit for 20 years yeah. are not helping in that regard. But yeah. hopefully people see, no, things are changing and this isn't okay anymore. Yeah. And you're going to be respected. So and all of it, it's, for, it's all part of that larger conversation, you know, uh, kind of tangentially 
about masculinity and, right. and men not, you know, we were having a conversation today about the the nine the justices on the Supreme Court being mm-hmm. being women. Yeah. And well, there's a Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote where she was asked, when will there finally be enough women on the court? And she says, when there are nine, of course. And she goes on to say, well, it, it was nine men before and no one ever had a problem with that to kind of illustrate that. And we were talking about this when I heard the quote. I'm like, oh, nine women. That's too many. <laughs> and, yeah, right. But it's you're to, programmed that. Yeah, way. it's to prove that point of, well, you didn't think that when there were nine men. So right. why do you have that reaction about women? And it's because there should be representation. That's what that is, that it should be equal, that yeah. there should be representation for men and women. If it is a problem to have nine women Supreme Court justices, right. then it should be equally a problem to have nine men. And it was nine fucking men from 1798 until 1980-something when Sandra Day O'Connor was mm-hmm. made. Yeah. For hundreds, for decades and decades and decades and decades and decades, only men. Right. And even now, we only have three. Yeah. I mean, which is getting better, Mm -hmm. but there should be four or five. Mm -hmm. Five is the number if we want actual representation because there's more women than goddamn men. Yeah. I'm sure Donald Trump's next pick is a woman. He's real eager to get another laid on the court. Maybe his fucking sister. Yeah. So judge goddamn Janine Pirro. Oh, great. (laughs) That would be horrifying. But this masculinity, femininity um, discussion was pretty um, popular with the listeners. And I think we got a couple voicemails on that, too. Hey, this is Thomas from Kansas. Hey, um, I wanted to talk to you, wanted to talk about this uh, masculinity issue that we're having after the wake of another school shooting. Um, Since I know for a fact and most people know for a fact, nothing will ever be done on guns. It's never going to happen because we don't have the will for it. I think that as Americans, we need to have a conversation about masculinity. And I've been posting on my own private Facebook page um, some of the issues that I have found with masculinity. To, to be brutally blunt, masculinity has to change. Being what defines a man has got to change. Um, if Me Too, if the Me Too movement has proven anything, is that it isn't it isn't frowned upon or it isn't looked down upon anymore to admit that you're not as manly as the next guy. It's not looked down upon anymore. But it has also been proven that there is a serious issue with how men both address women, people of color, gay and transgender people, and ourselves. We shouldn't be defining manhood on what we can shoot and who we can sleep with, how many people we can sleep with, and who do we punk and bragging. The plot, the biggest problem is nobody, the same way we don't want to talk about any really serious issues, we don't want to talk about abortion, we don't want to talk about racism, we don't want to talk about these things because there's no will for it. We also don't want to have this conversation about manhood. We want to continue to pretend like bragging about how big our nuclear arsenal or how fast we'll shoot somebody is normal. And this issue is what draws every other issue around. The reason we have the police treating people of color the way they do is because of, of this idea that, you know, we're black people or black men are just monsters. That comes from this idea of masculinity. I'm hoping 
along with you guys that we can actually start having this conversation because if we don't, we're going to continue to have the problems that we have in America. And pulling up a flag and a shotgun and screaming about how American you are while holding your genitals is just not working anymore. I uh, love this film. Both of you guys are the best part. Peace. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that it ever worked. Um, yeah, doing that, and <laughs> I am. I have been inspired by the messages that we've received and the voicemails that we've received from men uh, talking about this issue because I think that it is a conversation that men probably should have first and foremost. That maybe it's not super useful to have women commenting on. Uh, what men should do to change the definition of masculinity or that it would just be more well-received yeah, if I, men have that conversation. I, I, I don't know. I, listen, I get what Thomas is saying, and I agree 100%. And there's a phrase he used in there that I, I bristle at. And I think he uses it just as kind of the, it's the normal way of that we think and we need to get away from it. He's right there. And that is that there's inherently a value on... um on manliness, on masculinity, even in the, the way that he said, not as manly as the next, that you're not as manly as as me or, or, or as your neighbor, that inherently places value on masculinity. That if you're more manly, then it's good. And if you're less manly, there's less value in that. Mm-hmm. And I, I challenge that. What, why does any level low or high, uh, and even the ability to place a value, uh, you know, an intrinsic number value, let's say, on it, mm-hmm. is, is fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Because what's the good in that? What, what, is, the, what is the value? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we need to get away from that. Well, we have an email that's kind of related to that. Um, it's quite long, so bear with me. Here we go. <laughs> Uh, Hello, Jesse and Brittany. This is Kevin from San Antonio, Texas. I'm emailing you wanting to continue the conversation regarding Jordan Peterson and the New York Times article, specifically Brittany's question as to what void he fills in pop culture. Now, I do not have any data to back this up, but I do think there is a correlation with the increase in male suicide, along with a decrease in masculine scores among men whom answer the BEM sex role inventory. Jordan Peterson, uh, remember, he said that he doesn't have data on that, but he thinks that, okay? Um, Jordan Peterson and others like him, like Tucker Carlson, proposed that this loss in masculinity is due to increasing femininity in men, along with media attacking masculinity. They never seem to think that in a society where masculinity is strongly tied to wealth and an ability to provide, an increase in the income gap along with stagnating wages might contribute more to this collective happening of men. Jordan Peterson helps these men, however, because he fosters this rationalization that this problem with a decrease in male worth is due to feminism and other leftist indoctrination. He does so, as you two have discussed, using pseudo-intellectual language that leaves room for plausible deniability. This leaves opponents in a debate as to whether to call him out and look assumptive, as Kathy Newman did, or to go along with his language and give him the out he relies on. 
Many of the right, many on the right, have relied on this to rationalize or stress their own ideology. What comes to mind is They Live, the movie in which I think Brittany dived into in an earlier episode on how her family thought the aliens represented Jewish people. Director John Carpenter has gone on the record stating that They Live was actually against the Reagan administration and consumerism in the age of Reagan. They have done this with The Matrix as well. Getting red-pilled through The Matrix is made by two trans females. They also see this with Fight Club as the film dives into the mindset of lost men, though it criticizes what this toxicity of ideology leads to, violence. Same can be said for Anchorman, in which many um, love Ron Burgundy due to his misogyny, even though the film explicitly criticizes sexism and Ron himself. I think what can be more revealing of the context of ideas in pop culture is figures like Milo and others who disdain Amy Schumer. I always thought it was revealing to hear Milo say that he felt Amy was forced onto him. I'm not a big fan of Amy's comedy, but nothing is forced on you. We live in an age where choice is practically practically limitless. It can be overwhelming. So I'm going to skip down a little bit here um, to get to the end. Um, Jordan Peterson gives his audience a subtle rationalization that current popular media does not give. A message from a woman to them won't certainly be as heard or as strong as a message from a man will and current men in pop culture though shown to want to be or are monogamous are shown to be flawed and among other attributes as well i don't think peterson's audience wants to hear that i think they want their ideology to be stroked just my two cents sorry for the long email you two are doing fantastic and you deserve the large audience you both have amassed thanks and best wishes Kevin, early adopter of the show. Yeah. So I... One of our first voicemails was from Kevin. Yeah. So I don't know... See, I could still interrupt even with a shitty voice. Perfect. <laughs> um, again, he said he, he didn't have any data to back up his um, hypothesis about the correlation with increased um, suicide and a decrease in masculine scores on the BEM sex role inventory. But I wanted to talk about the BEM sex role inventory for a second for those who yeah. might not know about it. So it was created... I'm raising my hand. Yeah. Because I don't know mm-hmm. about it, it. Yes. It was uh, <laughs> created in the 70s uh, by Sandra BEM, 1974, I think. And... Basically, it allows people to uh, measure androgyny, uh, high levels of both masculinity and femininity. Hmm. So you take it, there's like 40 items, 20 are masculine, 20 are feminine or something like this. And it gives you this score of how w- what your levels are on each of those. Yeah. And it's interesting that a decrease in masculinity would be a problem to Jordan Peterson because actually Sandra Bem, um, she argued that that was the healthiest type of person that had high levels of both masculinity and femininity, that it made them more adaptive, more flexible because they didn't adhere to these rigid traditional yeah. gender roles. And so she argued that it made them more psychologically healthy to have high scores of masculinity and femininity. Um, so I don't know if Jordan Peterson is arguing that men are scoring higher on femininity and lower on masculinity or like what his argument is involving the uh, BEM sex role inventory. But it, it That's seems... That's probably the way he wants it. It seems <laughs> it, that the, her hypothesis, the person who created the measure, that seems at odds with what he would be presenting because 
the most psychologically healthy person, according to her, would be a man that has both high masculinity and high femininity. Yeah. So what do you think about that? Well, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm pretty healthy in that way. Um, I'm openly emotional and I, I don't know what's on the what on the on the 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 survey. So I wouldn't really know. But it, it seems to me that someone who is uh, able to um, display traits both feminine and 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 masculine is is healthy is is adaptable all of that seems uh, it's the, the the logic and the reason seems to follow yeah i think the the items included on the measure are positive personality traits and they are just highly correlated with stereotypical um, behaviors for each gender. Hmm. So you're probably right in thinking maybe emotionality is typically a feminine. Yeah, yeah. So because it's whatever is stereotypical yeah. for for the the gender. So I, and I consider myself pretty balanced. Again, you know, not to keep talking about the fact that I'm I don't have any shame mm-hmm. in showing emotion mm-hmm. in 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 loving and in you know um, crying and I'm not closed off like that. So I, I don't I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind, you know, doing podcasts with a fucking, <laughs> it sound like I'm gargling aquarium gravel. <laughs> you know. You're, you are doing just fine. I'm doing just fine. So on our last episode, we also did a deep dive into um, Gavin McGinnis and the Proud Boys yeah. and talked a little bit about racism. And In response to uh, Mark the Mailman. Right. We have a direct response to Mark the Mailman from Marcus. Hi guys, Marcus here responding to Mark the Mailman from episode 410, in which he lightly defended Gavin McGinnis and the Proud Boys. Um, I think Mark was probably taken in by a sophisticated rhetorical approach often used by the alt-right, in which they soft-pedal insidious views by using techniques like humor, where you might be able to rationalize that the person was merely being politically incorrect or pushing boundaries. Uh, Really, this is to mask and normalize horrible viewpoints and slowly reveal um, the actual viewpoint over time. This is a conscious choice by the alt-right because they know their views would shock people if they were honest from the beginning, much as Scientology doesn't start talking about Xenu and ghost aliens until after you've invested a ton of time, money, in your psyche. Um, This makes it a lot harder to see it for the bullshit that it actually is. For anyone who wants more information about these techniques, I would uh, highly recommend a YouTube playlist called the Alt-Right Playbook. It's on a channel called Innuendo Studios, and it highlights tactics used by the Alt-Right and should be considered required viewing for anyone who wants to stop these horrible views from taking further hold in this country. So thanks, guys. As always, Brittany is the best part. But hey, Jesse, you ain't half bad either. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Well, that was a nice little shout out for you there, Jesse D. <laughs> Is that, did that have healing powers for you? Are you healed now? Uh, nope. <laughs> I was going to say, let's, uh, let's take a beat and see, you know, no, same no, fucking no. thing. That's a bummer. Um, uh, We're going to put that, I'm going to find exactly links to that Innuendo Studios thing. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, But he's a hundred percent fucking right that they, even in the emails that were released, from 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 BuzzFeed. Right. Go ahead. You I, I'm Yeah, well, the BuzzFeed emails particularly surrounding like Milo. That's what yeah. Yeah, where I want you to talk about it cuz I'm Yeah, but we're behind You sound more credible. Mm. <laughs> 
behind the scenes, Milo was plotting with Steve Bannon and other figures. The Mercers. Yeah. Um, to surreptitiously sneak white supremacist talking points into his messaging. Yeah, they talked about how they don't want to be overt about it. They right. want to be super sly. Right. So it's not even like a... Oh, they just happen to not. I like the word soft pedal. Yeah. It's not like a coincidence that they're doing that. Right. It is fucking pernicious and sinister. Yeah. And it's a planned and orchestrated way to do things. Well, I think people have this idea in their head of what a typical racist is. And they think of them as being in your face, walking around. Baby! Walking around <laughs> with like a swastika on their forehead. Um, yelling in the grocery store yeah, about yeah. blacks like who who knows i think it's your dad yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> um except the swastika was not on the forehead it was on the arm right. um and he was respectable yeah uh <laughs> just a clarification he didn't work for a carnival <laughs> yeah you know carnies with crazy tattoos yes i understand when reference. we were growing up we had a guy we called him spider uh-huh uh-oh every year that's he not good <laughs> every year he showed up at the fucking he, i think that might have been his nickname uh-huh. but every year he showed up as the carnival ride operator yeah. and he had a giant fucking spider web tattooed on his forehead yikes mm. Good times. Yeah. yeah no, it doesn't sound like it. But <laughs> but these people exist on a spectrum. So you do have the people that have the swastika forehead tattoos that are in your face, that are yelling, that are not afraid to right. uh, show people who they really are and what their views are. And they're less dangerous than Richard Spencer. Yeah, because Richard Spencer has the nice hair. He has the nice suit. He's well-spoken. They believe the same fucking things. Right, they do. And they're counting on you being tricked into the appearance of, well, look at him. He's so clean cut. Well, look at him. He's educated. Well, look at uh, Jared Taylor. He's he's written books. He's an author. Yeah, they don't use the N-word. Yeah, he's an academic. Look at these people. Um, and it's it's more dangerous, like you said, those types, because they slowly fool you and take you in. And then all of a sudden, you <laughs> are moving down the spectrum a little bit. Yeah. Um, so we we have another response to Mark, but we're going to get to it on the other side of the mid-roll. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. We have two people who upped their pledge. Oh, that is awesome. Jessica. Jessica. <laughs> this is a bummer for those who, I don't know if this is a thing that people wait for their names. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everybody. And Wayne. Wayne. And then we have a new Patreon supporter. That is fantastic. Alex. Alex. And she sent us a little message along with her All pledge. Right. Hello, friends. I finally got my Hello, shit together. Friend. I finally got my shit together and am now a Patreon supporter. I know it is a minuscule amount. Don't spend it all in one place, but I hope to raise my pledge in the future. Side note, being 410, I appreciate you giants standing in the back of concerts because I'm lucky if my nose doesn't at some point get pushed into someone's armpit during shows. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Yeah. And little Alex show, from Phoenix. Brittany's the best part. Little Alex. Yes. So I got a friend, little Chris. Who's five foot three? 
there you go. And every, everyone calls him Lil Chris. She called herself Little Alex. Little I did, Alex, I did yeah. not say that yeah, on my own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. But I, I, I think there are people who are shorter, yeah, smaller in stature, mm-hmm. who are, and I think it's probably easier for women, but super comfortable because Lil Chris, he's Lil Chris. Yeah. I think it's cool. And he's very confident. Yeah, super confident. Yes. Goddamn. Um, so I want to comment on the minuscule amount. There's no such thing. Oh, her donate her, her yeah. Patreon support. Yeah, listen, I, I think there's some people out there that feel that way. Like I'm not gonna give because I can't give very much per month. That's that's not what this is about. We cherish and value and appreciate so much that people take the time out of their day to number one, listen to Jesse's gravelly aquarium voice and uh aquarium voice <laughs> whatever you said i, don't I know. said i sound like i'm gargling aquarium gravel yeah well i fucked it up it's fine um <laughs> and, and uh that that then you go and sign up on patreon to give us your hard-earned dollars it, it's amazing um and even if it's a dollar uh we love and appreciate you guys so uh don't don't think that when you're signing up that it's a minuscule amount it matters and it goes a long way to helping us uh keep this this thing on the road so if you want to support the show in other ways make sure you go to itunes and review the show but please do not use profanity even though we can use profanity here on the show if you want some sweet ass dollamore merchandise i'm really getting the hang of this hosting game. yeah i kind of like um, it i fucking kind of like it <laughs> go to dollamore.info and you can get yourself a mug and a t-shirt and a tote uh, whatever and Amazon and Amazon buy Shop your on shit Amazon. on Amazon. Yeah. Go through the dollamore.com slash Amazon link and buy your Amazon goods. You're fucking killing it. I'm killing it. Okay, now we're gonna go back to the other response to Mark the Mailman. Hey Jesse, hey Brittany, it's Kelly from New England. I'm actually on vacation in Atlanta right now, but I had to call and respond to that mailman. My goodness gracious. As I told you guys, I'm getting a master's in history, so apparently he's not super well-versed in American history, so allow me to take him to school and introduce him to the third president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson. He uh, had an affair with a woman named Sally Hemming, who was a slave who was a wedding gift to him and his wife, who he had a lot of affection for and had several children with. You know what else? He was a dyed-in-the-wool racist actively thought that black people were subhuman and carried on an affair with a black person. The fact that he doesn't realize that people can have that level of cognitive dissonance is amazing to me. It really is. It's truly fascinating. I'd also encourage him to watch this really great documentary with Louis Trudeau where he's interviewing a white supremacist who's really, really good friends with a, a, a Latino man and likes going down to Mexico all the time and hanging out. Not the one where he's hanging out with the two, uh, White supremacist uh, twin singing group. The one where he's just hanging out with the old white supremacist. I love Louis Trudeau. Watch everything he does. It's fantastic. Um, but this, this is something that's really fascinating. And I am African American. And um, one day I will call and tell you guys a fascinating story where I accidentally dated a former white supremacist who it turned out still had some really racist views that I didn't find out about. So we've been dating for a while. So just oh my goodness gracious. Uh, people always seem to think that the only form of racism is like a Klansman trying to lynch a black person. No. You know what else is racism? Saying, hey, that unarmed black teenager, I'm sure he deserves to die because they're all a bunch of criminals. And then you rationalize it. People often don't know that they have racist views, too. And clearly, this 
Nazi friendly, despite what they say, because uh, guess what speaks louder than words? Action. So I would encourage the mailman to, you know, pick up a history book filled with amazing cognitive distance about racism. All right, uh, Jesse, Brittany, love you. Brittany, you are absolutely the best part. And hey, if I call in and cuss you guys out, can I be the opening to the show one day? All right, love you, bye. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. The answer is yes. You can absolutely cuss us out, and then you can be the opening of the show. You wouldn't be the first to cuss us out. We even got cussed out the other day via somebody slid into the Twitter DMs and couldn't figure out the fucking voicemail and was was giving us a ration of shit. That was very weird. Yeah. Like, oh, you guys are not big time enough. Uh, Because I was trying to be genuinely helpful and figure out the problem that they were having because they didn't understand how to work the voicemail line. It's a line that just rings and rings. Well, obviously people are figuring it out. Yeah. Well, and I even called to check to see if there was a problem. And I'm like, yeah, it just it rings. And then the, the voicemail answers and then it beeps. And then you just like leave a voicemail. Like I and I, I was not trying to be a dick, but it was kind of hard yeah. to not sound like a dick when I'm explaining how to leave a voicemail to someone. Like I, it's pretty easy. And then seriously, she was like, Oh yeah, you think you're in the big leagues? And I'm like, Whoa, I just all I know how to do is leave a voicemail. I'm you know Big Leagues? What I, does that even fucking mean? I don't know. So um listen, I I appreciate what, what she's saying here. Let, let me let, there's one thing that just I bristle at, and I know that I'm not trying to say Kelly has some misapprehension about the relationship with Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings, but it wasn't an affair. It was not an affair. Thomas Jefferson serially raped Sally Hemings for years because Sally Hemings was not in a position to choose to say yes or no. It was not an affair. Thomas Jefferson was a rapist, a serial, and are, are we to believe she was the only one? Yeah, I'm Get sure. Get the fuck out. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not saying that to her. I'm sure Kelly takes that position, and you just don't like that word, and and maybe she could have used a better word. Siri is telling me to shut up, I think. Right, but I, I think that that is likely, with like 100% certainty, I don't even know why I'm saying likely, uh, that Kelly understands that point. Yeah. So, sorry, I'm trying to make my phone not listen to me. It's always listening to. Well, you. Siri thought I was telling her to like fuck straight off or something because I yeah. was talking about <laughs> Sally Hemings. I just took a screenshot of it, so I'm going to put it on the page. Everyone yeah. can see. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so she brought up an interesting point though about people being able to have um relationships and still hold these. Because that was one of the issues. I'm sorry. That was one of the issues that marked the mailman. That well, no, there's black members of the Proud Boys. Mm-hmm. How can they be racist? Right. And Carrie actually sent us a voicemail and she has um, a story right along these lines from her own experience. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Brittany. This is Carrie from Boise. I am calling about um, the last episode, which I think is an extremely important episode. Uh, I have a... I'm going to start with the feminizing of boys conversation. Um, I have a really good friend, and her husband is an ex-Marine, former Marine. I'm not sure what the terminology is there. Um, Maybe you guys know a Marine who could help me out with that. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, anyways, she is the breadwinner in the family. She makes the money. He is a 
primarily a stay-at-home father with their year-and-a-half-old son. And I know that he struggles with that because he thinks it's... I don't, I don't honest, she says that he's not a feminist and that they don't, they teach in the Marines that women are not equals. Uh, and I think that he struggles with the fact that she's the breadwinner and he's a stay at home dad. And he, he is going to school on the GI Bill right now. And they have their son in daycare. And it is a daycare, very liberal. I believe they are teaching him Korean and Spanish at the daycare. Um, the very, uh, her husband is very liberal. He's in the Green Party. Not that I know what that really means. Um, and he also is a big believer in the Cascadia movement or something. But they get, he got pretty upset when he would be picking their son up from daycare and their son had on a tutu or a tiara or some other item of girls clothing and he was ranting about it when they came over to our house last time but just about how ridiculous it was that they were putting their son in those things and I didn't say much I honestly was shocked because they are it's just the kind of opinion that you generally reserve for you know the the right-wingers, the conservatives, the God's Guns and Gays groups that would be the ones who are, you know, up in arms about feminizing our boys. But here is this man who I think is just really torn between what he what he believes. And anyways, I just thought I would send that to you. Also wanted to give you a little anecdote about um, another topic you guys talked about, which was having people of color be closely involved in white supremacist groups. And when I was in high school uh, in Northern California, which is a hotbed of rampant racism, um, I'm not sure if how well known that is. Um, as far as I know, it's pretty well known that Northern California is, takes a close second to Idaho back in its heyday. Anyways, there was a white supremacist group at my school, and I hung out with them. I'm not proud to admit it. Uh, I don't know that I ever bought into what they were they would talk about, but I was a nerdy kid, and I didn't hang out with a lot of people, and I hung out with the white supremacist kids, not all the time, but from time to time. Anyways, the, the leader of that group, so to speak, was a black kid. Uh, he was, you know, Black Doc Martens with the white laces, like always wearing paramilitary kind of clothing, extreme racist. And his excuse was that his white mother was raped by a black man, and that is what resulted in his even being alive, and that's why he was a racist, um, is because a black man raped his mother. Uh, anyways, just another little... Side note I wanted to throw out there. It was a great episode. I'm going to send it to everyone I know. Uh, love you guys, and you're both the best part. Thanks. Awesome. Bye. Oh, no. Bye. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you. Um, That's awesome. Well, Thank you for sharing the episode. It, 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 well, go ahead. And, Sorry. Uh, I, I wasn't saying that the other parts of the call were awesome. I mean, I appreciate the sharing of the stories, but um, I, I'm trying to emphasize that I, the sharing the episode was... I think that... Um, <laughs> You're just gunning for it. Well, Thank people, you. People shouldn't be ashamed of the shit that they did in like high school. That's not. You, it's. I don't think it's an indictable thing 
Because I certainly it, hope not. Am I supposed to live my? Because I, you know, I wasn't. Uh, there were kids that I bullied that I'm very embarrassed about. Yep. From shit that I did when I was 15, 16 years old. If I'm going to be held held to account for the rest of my life for being a shitty fucking kid. Yeah. Who wasn't raised well by his parents. Mm-hmm. Who wasn't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I was allowed to be a fucker. Yeah. And uh, not cool. Yeah. Um, trying to make up for that every day of my life moving forward. Um, but it is interesting that even with the cross section of our audience, like it, I know it's anecdotal, but mm-hmm. when you have enough points of data that come together mm-hmm. to like, yeah, it, it is obvious that you can be a racist and have black or brown friends, mm-hmm. but also these racist groups can have members of that specific minority that they're trying to oppress right. in the gr- goddamn group. Right. Yeah, and I haven't... When you have enough examples, it becomes noteworthy. Yeah, I've been trying to find information about this phenomenon, and I can't... As far as, like, uh, pieces of data? Yeah, as far as how common it is, um, the the number of members that are people of color sure. in the in these various groups and i haven't been able to track anything down yet but i'm i'm continuing to look if someone in the audience comes across something feel free to send it our way uh, cuz i am trying to find information on that but yeah uh it it's interesting especially for like the proud boys who uh, they have members of um they have members who are people of color and Jewish, I think. Yeah. So until it reaches a certain point, like that person um, on this American life said that they were the member of the group. He was a black man. And then it reached a certain point of whatever. He found out more information or the way people were behaving. It's a great episode. You should really go check it out. And then it was too much for him. So, but he w- he was in it at a certain point and they're still espousing what, what they, what they are. Yeah. So, speaking of Gavin McGinnis, I believe we have another voicemail from Eric. Hey, Jesse, Brittany, this is Eric again out in the uh, Midwest. Um, This is in regards to episode 410. I really enjoyed that one because of how you talked about Gavin McGinnis. And to me, the uh, biggest thing about Gavin and what those clips that you were playing was is that when he was talking about the Treaty of Versailles, what he what makes him so dangerous in the fact is that he he was as talking as though Europe started disliking their Jewish population as soon as that treaty was signed because they you know Germany blamed the Jewish population on the end of World War One when in fact you know, Germany blamed them for that because they claimed that they owned all the banks, well, I hate saying they, but the Jewish population, the Jewish dislike of Europe didn't start then. It was a long, sordid road of how they disliked their Jewish populations along Europe throughout history of, I mean, it's just, he, he just leaves out as though it just started on that day. And that's what makes it so dangerous in that aspect is that it's like they had a reason almost to start like disliking them when it's been for centuries or, you know, for year after year of them having to deal with being disliked in Europe. I think Gavin just, you know, he cherry picks and he's trying to, you know, make a point that 
is not there because he's trying to rewrite history, and we see it with all the other individuals that think like Gavin. Uh, it, 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 it boggles my mind that people can follow this or they don't try and check the facts or the history. Um, it, 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 it's disgusting. Um, great show. I'm glad I, you know, you guys put that together. You know, I hope, I hope, uh, people learn from it because you got, you got to read into it a lot more. Uh, it, it, it just doesn't, the, the hatred just doesn't start day one. There's a long road to how they got there in Nazi Germany. And let's be, you know, let's be frank, you know, that's how Hitler mobilized Europe, even though they did not like the Nazis, but they disliked the Jews, even France, you know, when, when they were conquered, you know, yes, there was the underground, but they too, you know, went after the Jewish people under when they were under Nazi regime. Good show. Uh, thanks again. Oh, cut off. Uh, thank you for the call. We appreciate it. Listen, uh, let's even talk about the Jews haven't been liked since in ancient times. They were a burr in the saddle of the Romans. They were a pain in the ass. They weren't liked then. But I think that the the large scale um, systemic dislike of the Jews, we, that's, we can put that on Christianity. Because as soon as Christ gets killed, it gets blamed on the Jews by these new this new upstart cult, Christianity. And then when Christianity starts taking off, the Council of Nicaea, Constantine, the Catholic Church becomes the official church of the fucking planet, and they don't like the Jews. That's where it starts. It wasn't the Treaty of fucking Versailles. It wasn't. It's asinine to think that everything was great for the Jews prior to the end of World War I. Get the fuck out of here. Well, and that's what people like Gavin McGinnis are capitalizing on. This uh, People being dumb? The desire for people <laughs> to have a simplistic understanding. Um, not being interested in nuance. Uh, because it's tough. You have right. to read a lot. You have to learn a lot. It takes time and effort. And it's much easier when someone just boils it down and hands you a simplistic explanation that fits perfectly with your worldview. A single data point that, oh, it all came together for me. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then you don't really need to look into it further. And I think that that is a lot of what's going on in these white supremacist communities. Uh, and it's particularly tragic for their children. Um, who are growing up in this environment and yeah. not being exposed to other information, uh, reality, who are not being exposed to reality. Yeah. So. so we have another call on the race issue from Eldridge. Hi, Jesse and Brittany. Hey, guys. I, uh, <laughs> my name is Eldridge Davis. I, I um, really enjoy your show. I'm a um, public school teacher in the Midwest. And my um, sort of question is, um, and if you can both give your take on this, isn't it extremely um, telling and amazing the level of um, cognitive dissonance and uh, moving the goalposts and, and playing the game of mental gymnastics that the right has to play when it comes to um, things like the protests, uh, as far as Colin Kaepernick, uh, when it comes to 
um, addressing police brutality and when it comes to um, addressing several um, other social issues. I, I just, I mean, it's amazing hearing people like um, Tommy Lawrence speak and, and Jesse Waters and Sean Hannity and, 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 and it, it, it seems like they go back and forth between um, moving the goalposts or changing their mind or, 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 you know, having and holding these inconsistent beliefs. And this actually started way before Donald Trump. So I don't think it's the, the so-called Trump phenomenon. <clears throat> I think it's more to do with that. This is just how the right is, has, has just always been structured. So if you guys can um, talk on that, that'd be much uh, appreciated. And uh, like I said, I enjoy the show. I support you guys on Patreon. And um, so uh, keep up the good work and thanks for moving the conversation forward. Thank you for the call. Um, my initial reaction to this is that the things that Eldridge is describing uh, are not singularly owned by conservatives. Uh, not at all. Yeah. And for sure, liberals as well. It's just right now, it's so fucking stark on the right side. Yeah. That they get the, the brunt of the, because it's easy. Right. And it also depends on the issue that you're yeah. talking about. So those those specific issues that he named uh, might be areas in which conservatives tend to particularly um, engage their bias and move the goalpost and be really illogical. But there are areas where liberals have those blind spots as well. And you see it in debates online. <laughs> GMOs and vaccines and... Yeah, and even... As, just those two topics, yeah, particularly. And but. even aside from those issues, I mean, it's not as though um, liberals have a monopoly on logical thinking. Yeah. Um, and I think that we can tend... Maybe more of a claim to it, but it's not, it's not every day, all the time. They're for sure susceptible to those same indictable things that he was talking about moving the goalposts and cognitive dissonance and sorry <laughs> sorry well i actually i came across an interesting paper on academic twitter and the title of it is at least bias is bipartisan a meta-analytic comparison of partisan bias in liberals and conservatives and they did a meta-analysis on 41 studies which just means that they combined the data from like mm. 41 studies um and it it uh, involved over 12,000 participants. Wow. And the results of this uh, meta-analysis was that there was strong partisan bias um, for both liberals and conservatives, that they showed nearly identical levels of bias across studies. So partisan bias is not unique just to conservatives. We, we all suffer from cognitive biases, and it takes a lot of work to check them and to ensure that you're being a logical thinker, that you're being reasonable. Um, so I don't know if we answered the question, maybe a different question. Well, I, he, let me say this and let, let me go in on the conservatives a little bit. And that is right now we do live in an era led by Donald Trump where it's acceptable to just be completely intellectually dishonest and fucking lie to yourself and others. And, uh, you know, people call it the post-truth era. And in a way, it's true. In a way, we live in a time where it's completely acceptable to make up shit and act, act as though it is real, where conspiracy theories are promoted by respected people 
that whether they're respectable is a different story. But, you know, uh, uh, Donald Trump Jr. is 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 tweeting known conspiracy theorists, Mm -hmm. not just Alex Jones, but all these tributary type characters, Mm -hmm. these ancillary characters who are in that orbit. Mm -hmm. They are being given oxygen by mainstream Republican figures. Yeah. And that's not normal. Mm-hmm. That is that is a different thing. And it's not happening on the left. So it's easy to to say that we're beyond reproach on the left or people who think, you know, more liberally. But it is more of a problem right now for the right and that it's just the way it is. It is. It's yeah. more of a problem. Yeah. Not that we're we're not guilty of it as well. Right. But the it, it's a substantial problem for the globe in an existential way because of climate change, because of uh, uh, of of the the State Department having its budget slashed and peace being at issue. It is more of a problem. Yeah. And I, I do also want to say it shouldn't be controversial to talk about the bias that exists on both sides no. because because we ultimately want to do better and we don't want to give ammunition to the other side, although that's not the main reason for wanting to do better. We should want to do better just because we want to be better thinkers, right? Yes. Um, and we want to be right. Yeah, but... Don't we want to be correct in, right. the, in the positions we've come to? But somehow it can be controversial to criticize your tribe um and people can get threatening and say oh you must not really be a member if you're making a critical statement about the tribe and it shouldn't be like that because we should all want to be better i criticized fucking banging everything around i criticized uh, nancy pelosi the other day for her um failure to take a stance on uh kneeling yeah on the first amendment in that way yeah during like a town hall i love the anthem and I stand for the First Amendment. That's all I have to say about that. Mm-hmm. Failure to weigh in on an issue that is unavoidable. I kind of get what she's doing because she doesn't want to give um, fuel to the fire that Donald Trump is trying to create in a culture war. I get that. But it's unavoidable now. Take a stand. Yeah. Quit being a, a weakling about it. Right. But the point is you criticize Nancy Pelosi. And, and people then, freaked out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah not, that was it, the point. It's <laughs> not okay to make that criticism, yeah. even though it should be okay. Yeah. Because those conversations should be allowed. Yes. And you're the minority leader. Yeah. Uh, come on. Yeah. You're, you're in a leadership position within the party. So we have one more voicemail to get to. Hi, guys. This is Sheree from Florida. Um, first time sending my voice in. Um, I emailed a couple months ago. But otherwise, I am definitely one of those silent, um, just a listener. Um, But anyways, so I just, with the latest episode where you guys talked about Gavin uh, McGinnis, uh, I might be a little bit behind at this point, but sorry. Uh, I am biracial. I have a white mother and a black father. And my entire life, I've had this in internal conflict of feeling like I wasn't white enough to be perfectly honest um I would get a black barbie from my black family and beg my mom to trade it in for a white barbie I um as a child put baby powder on my skin 
so that I'd look whiter. I just looked ashier, <laughs> I'm perfectly honest. But these are just stories that some I remember, others my mom had to tell me. And she has never once made me feel like my blackness was to be ashamed of, to be like in ridicule. I, I, don't, I don't know the words exactly. But she's always been very like supportive she's loved my curly hair she's always been there for me when like i'm getting a farmer's tan because i walked outside for 10 minutes <laughs> um she's never made f being biracial feel like a burden um however society kind of did because i never saw my parents in movies i never saw my parents on billboards and commercials and now i am and i think it's absolutely ridiculous that gavin mcginnis is saying oh i'm not racist because i have a black wife and biracial children yet he's ranting about how he doesn't approve of all the biracial like media out there that that's just that just does not make any sense to me because you should want your children to grow up like seeing themselves like it's amazing to me like all the progress that we've made and it makes me so happy that it's out there um getting close to three minutes so <laughs> didn't quite make my point I hope maybe I did, but love the show. You guys are awesome. Bye. I think I think you made a beautiful point. Um, For sure. I think it's one that we also didn't touch on when we were talking about Gavin McGinnis and that specific point about his wife. Um, his perspective of, I'm not against seeing the diversity. It's just, it's a lot. It's a lot going on. It's because to him, white is the default. Right. He, but he does say it's a problem when he says it's being pushed on him something good why are you pushing that on me that's something that's bad and negative right and it's because he believes yes. that white is the default yes white should be um promoted promoted prized yes. over all else and that is uh like like cherry said offensive to his children who are going to grow up and wonder well, what's going on here with yeah. what dad is saying about white people and the um, multi-ethnic uh, images on TV and how he doesn't want to see too much of it? What does that mean for me? What's my place here? Yes. And the kids will make those connections. They will ask those questions as evidenced by Cherie. Right. And, and her experience growing up. I right. mean, it, I don't I don't have that. I I'm fucking white. Yeah. I didn't have to think about that shit. Right. That it is. And also it's Gavin McGinnis should be more thoughtful about his fucking words because he mm -hmm. doesn't. It is going to hit people in culture. Right. And people that he listens to and people who subscribe to his way of thought are going to go out and put that message out there also. And it is going to cause people distress. Well, and so when I was younger, my aunt gave us a Barney videotape um, as a present. And my mom rejected it and said that Barney was too multicultural for her kids. And I wasn't allowed to watch Lamb Chop. Um, I wasn't allowed to watch. Tell them. Tell the audience why. 
<laughs> because Lamb Chop was a Jew, according to your mom. Yeah, I think that they mean that like whoever created Lamb Chop. Um, <laughs> so I couldn't watch. I couldn't watch things that had uh, multiculturalism representation. I couldn't, I couldn't watch those things because my parents didn't want me to be exposed to it. And so when I hear Gavin McGinnis talk, what he's willing to say in public, it makes me wonder what he's saying in private, because many of his talking points are similar to the ones that my parents would tell us quietly inside of the house and then try to pretend that or try to blend with normal society when they were yeah. out in public. And if Gavin McGinnis is willing to say these things in public and toe that line, imagine what he's saying in private when and he's if, with his buddies, when he's at a secret meeting his, of the Proud Boys. Yeah. And listen, if you're unaware, if you haven't listened to episode 410, if you're curious about what the kind of shit that Gavin McGinnis does say in public, go back and listen to 410 in my normal voice. <laughs> and uh, we play numerous clips yeah and it's all the same i mean listening to him talk it really takes me back makes me feel nostalgic right um, for your growing up in your childhood yeah because the the same um history lessons me being taken out of my class my mom not allowing me to learn about american indians because she wanted to tell us the true story of how they um scalped white women for their beautiful blonde hair you know all all of these Ugh. all of these uh, things that Gavin McGinnis is doing are typical of most white supremacist households, white white supremacist upbringings. It's the same talking points. It's the same stuff that is said. And for him to try to act like I'm anti-Nazi, well, it's just because he's trying to be a pretty Nazi. Yeah. Socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. Palatable. Yeah. I think I'm done. <laughs> I, we have the other stuff, but I'm 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 gonna go home. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry. Well, we thank you, Jesse D, for being a trooper and uh, trying and coming in and at least doing this. Uh, like this you know, much. when your when your hair gets tingly. Yeah. Well, when you're at, sick, at it your just root. takes everything yeah. out of you. You feel exhausted. Your body aches. The body aches are terrible. Well, we're, we're going to get into the Roseanne stuff. That's what I really wanted to talk about was the Roseanne and the Samantha B stuff that just happened. And yeah. And the Puerto Rico um, yeah. miscount of how many people actually died. Now the White House calling for Sam. Anyway, I, no, you guys not, know we're not going to get into you guys it. know you have smartphones with news alerts. Right. <laughs> so um, thanks, everybody who called. Yes, uh, thank you so much for your calls and uh, and the email um, as well from Kevin. Uh, if you would like to sound off about anything in the previous episodes or anything on this episode, feel free to call and leave a voicemail. I don't think it's super hard to do, but again, some people have had trouble. <laughs> if you have trouble, reach out and I will walk you through the steps in a non dickholish way. <laughs> Uh, the phone number is 657-464-7609. If you don't like voicemail lines and they don't work for you, then feel free to send in a voice memo. Record it on your smartphone and email it to idoubtit at dollamore.com. And you can also send an email there or you can go to the website, contact us and fill out the little contact us form. However you prefer to do it. So listen, we really appreciate you guys. We can't say it enough. Uh, I know that it bums you out when we're late, but 
uh, rest assured that we always make it up. Uh, we will have hashtag third episode next week. And uh, we really want to hear from you guys on this on these issues, masculinity, femininity, racism, whatever it is that floats your boat. And um, I think that when we get feedback from people, one of the things that they say that they love most about the show is our audience and how often we get to interact with you guys on the show. So be sure to reach out and don't just be a silent listener. All right. For Jesse Dollimore, I'm Brittany Page, and this has been I Doubt It with Dollimore. And his sexy voice. (laughs) 